You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning. My name is Steve Marici, and I want to welcome you to our Coastal Los Angeles Christmas service here today. Uh, a special welcome to our guests who are visiting with us on our live stream and to my granddaughter and my grandson. Hello, Kate, it's Marici. Hey, Kayla, what's going on, guys? I uh, want to just, again, thank you for being here today. And uh, today our message is going to be coming out of the book of Micah. Uh, it's uh, entitled The Road to Bethlehem. And we don't hear a whole lot, for, uh, you know, from Micah when it comes to our Wednesdays or our Sundays. Um, something of a, a short book, and it may come up on a couple of occasions during the course of the year. But Micah is the sixth of what is called the Ten Minor Prophets. And we have, we're all pretty familiar with major prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, and they have a lot to say, a lot more to say to the minor prophets. The minor prophets like Micah are much more succinct in what they put out there. But when you read what Micah has to say, you'll realize Micah is anything but minor. Uh, the name Micah in the Hebrew means he who is like God. In our, our modern vernacular, the names would be... Uh, yeah, basically a Michael or a Michelle, and they're derived from Micah. Oddly enough, Micah uses his own name as the theme of his book. His brief seven-chapter, six-page prophecy is all about what God is like and ultimately how we can become more like God. Now, I can't think of a better time of year or two when it comes to really turning our attention to being more like God and walking closely with Jesus. I'd like to paint a picture for us this morning of the time in the lives of God's people here with a little bit of history. Micah lived in the 8th century uh, before Christ, and during his time, he was ministering to three different kings, King Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, which are named here in verses one, chapter 1, verse 1 of Micah. It helps to understand that the book of Micah is not one sermon, but ultimately it's a collection of Micah's um, greatest hits, uh, so to speak, is condensed and is summarized over a lifetime of his preaching. Micah followed both Amos and Hosea, who were contemporaries, Israel's prophets during that period of time. He was also a contemporary of Isaiah. So it's not surprising that there's going to be a lot of similarities in these books. Now, Micah lived in a small town named Morsheth in the southern kingdom of Judah. And both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel at this time they had split a long time ago. Both had been violating the covenant that they had made with God. So Micah was sent to the power brokers here in Jerusalem to warn them that God was going to bring this terrifying empire, the Assyrians, to take out the northern kingdom, and then eventually would come and ravage Jerusalem as well. And he also warned them that after that, Babylon, who, which was even a greater threat, would come in with total destruction uh, during this period of time. So what I, what I want us to see here on the slide is that it's a kind of a brief outline of the book of Micah, and it's, it's pretty easy to follow. Number one, chapters one through three are about the failure of Judah and Israel to be godly. And Micah prophesies, he predicts that God's judgment is coming. Number two, you have chapters four through five, which offers hope as Micah also predicts that one will come to give restoration and peace. Someone who is God-like, that God-like person we know is the Messiah. And then number three, 
in chapter 6 and 7, plead with the nation to change their ways and to live more godly lives. So, like all the prophets, Micah spoke on God's behalf to accuse Israel, or as he puts it in chapter 3, I am filled with strength, with the Spirit of God, with justice and power to declare how Israel has rebelled. So most of the book explores Micah's accusations and the warnings of God's coming judgment on Israel. But Micah also has this incredible message of hope that countered these warnings regarding the restoration God would bring on the other side of God's justice. So the first two sections of the book develop Micah's accusations and warnings against Israel and its leaders. Part one opens up with this poetic description of God appearing to Israel, just like he did at Mount Sinai. I mean, there's fire and smoke and earthquakes, but he hasn't come to make a covenant with his people at this point in time. He's come to bring his judgment on Israel for over 500 years of rebellion. And Micah goes on to name all the towns and cities in Israel that are culprits of this rebellion. So Micah goes after with Israel's leaders as well. He says that they've become wealthy through theft and greed. And he alludes to the story of Ahab stealing a family vineyard from Naboth in 1 Kings 21, but also it's because of Israel's prophets, which are corrupt as well. You know, they're quite offered, they're, they're, they're very eager to offer promises of God's protection to anyone who could afford to pay them, to which Micah says, no, God's withdrawn his protection from Israel. And in the second section of the accusations, Micah also describes even more so how Israel's leaders and prophets have committed this incredibly grave injustice. They run the land through bribery. They bend justice to favor the wealthy, the poor deprived of their land, their security, and their hope. And all this being a violation of the laws of the Torah that God had established for them as to how to live amongst each other. So they even, uh, in, within the Torah, it was declared illegal to sell land that belonged to families, even if they're poor. So we find out that God's judgment is going to take the form of this oppressive uh, nation that comes to take out the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem's temple ultimately will be reduced to ruins. And again, this is because of this disobedience, this unwillingness to live in, in, in light of the direction God has given them so they can have this incredible community where there is justice for all. And in a lot of ways, it sounds a lot like what we're dealing with today. Now, when it comes to these warnings, they're stiff warnings. Each of these warning sections is concluded, though, with this promise of hope. So first, there's a poem about how God is like a shepherd who's going to rescue and regather his flock, which is the remnant of his people, and bring them all back to good pasture where he will become their king once again. The second warning section is concluded by picking up this image of the ruined Jerusalem temple, which Micah says won't be permanent. So one day, God's going to exalt his temple. He's going to fill it with his presence and fill the city with the remnant of his people. So God's purpose is ultimately to make Israel the meeting place of heaven and earth. So that all nations, when we're familiar with this, the covenant promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis 22, Jesus reminding us of this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and ultimately in Acts 2, where all nations are together in Jerusalem on Pentecost to hear Peter preach this amazing message about how God has come for everyone. He's wanting to gather everyone back into his community. So again, so all nations will stream to Jerusalem where God becomes the king of all nations, bringing peace to them on earth.
Now, these two concluding poems are, are poems of hope. They're very powerful. Micah develops them further in this beautifully de- designed series of poems where the, the, this, this future hope of Israel and all nations coming back together. So we learn after the Assyrian attack, Israel will be conquered and exiled to Babylon. But from there, God will restore his people and bring them back to their land. So the book of Micah provides one of the most significant prophecies of Jesus' birth in all the Old Testament, pointing some seven years, 700 years before Christ's birth to his birthplace in Bethlehem and to his eternal nature. We see this, if you'll turn there with me, to Micah 5, verse 2 through 4. Micah 5, 2 through 4. Here we're going to learn that in this new Jerusalem, a new Messianic king from the line of David will come. He'll be born in Bethlehem and then rule in Jerusalem over all of his restored people. So Micah 5, verse 2, it reads, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she is in labor, who is in labor, gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. I mean, it's such an amazing passage here. Micah was fired up and inspired to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. One of the most remarkable predictions of his ministry. He saw through the chaos of his day to a new ruler on the horizon. He saw his deliverer coming out of human obscurity, not out of a position of power, but obscurity. And this is what I need to be focused on today. Thinking through the the, the second coming, my future, our future as disciples, The good news versus the chaos is so easy today to get caught up in all the crazy, the COVID situation, the openings, the closing, our uh, political unrest, the injustice is taking place. And, you know, one of the things I love about going through the minor prophets, as we have here in, in South Bay over the last month and a half, two months, is just seeing this correlation between what we're currently dealing with today. I mean, we're really in a form of exile and the chaos and, the, and all the stuff that's going on isn't a whole lot different. And realizing that a lot of this is because we claim to be a Christian nation, but we're not living in accordance with what God's standards are here. And we need to make sure that we understand and we're focused on the good news going forward. And then we give other oppor- others the opportunity to embrace this as well. Now, getting back to Micah 5, you know, we're all familiar with the Christmas carol talking about the little town of Bethlehem. And... Uh, the Christmas carols correct referring to Bethlehem as a little town. It had a population of fewer than a thousand people at that time. And although it was an obscure town of Judah, it did have a certain pedigree. And it's kind of cool some of the stuff that took place. I mean, there are many from obscurity to greatness stories written in the history of this little insignificant town of Bethlehem. There's Rachel, there's Ruth, the Moabite woman, and then the one that we're much more familiar with is David. You know, when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, David was not even notified by his own dad or considered by his father, Jesse, to be someone that would be even capable of this. Yet he went on to become the greatest king of Israel and included in the Messianic lineage that we're all aware of today. Now, 
The name of Bethlehem was certainly prophetic at that time, and that its meaning literally was house of bread. Its greatest inhabitant indeed would be the bread of life to the world. That's Jesus. The baby Jesus of Bethlehem turned this small, insignificant village into one of the best-known places in the world. And, you know, I love this about God. In this designation of Bethlehem as the Messiah's birthplace, the universal principle of God's way and redemption is exemplifying that out of seemingly nothing and weakness, God has perfected strength. It's not royal Jerusalem, but humble Bethlehem. Not the, the best house of this inconspicuous village, but a common inn. Not the best room in the inn, but a stable. And this was the scene of the nativity as the Lord of Lords was born into the world. So finally, in this messianic kingdom of God, the faithful remnant of God's people, that's you and me, will become that blessing among the nations. We, his remnant, are a blessing to all nations. And, you know, you think this through about uh, when we found out, when someone brought us the good news and we have the opportunity to go through and study out these various things in the, in the Bible, what that meant for our lives, the transformation that took place. You know, I think back to Bruce and Ortigue that met us at a garage sale some 30, where are we at? Well, actually, today, um, December 10th was our 30-year anniversary as Christians. And it's just amazing that it was because, not of something we did, but the fact that God put it on someone's heart to bring us this news of the Messianic kingdom. And then again, as, as disciples, this is something that we are all called to. Micah then continues here with this pattern of warnings. And this is where Micah offers his famous words to summarize what it means for Israel to follow their God. You know, we've heard this a number of times this year, Micah 6, verse 8. If you'll turn there with me, Micah 6, verse 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So it was God's desire for Israel that they live in community, that they would adhere to just basic commandments that they had received through the Torah as we've received from Jesus today. You know, this idea of Matthew 22, where it talks about loving God and loving your neighbors, and with that, the sense of community and uh, establishing justice. God would make the Israelites prosper and the other nations of the world would see a contrast in their lives if they were living in accordance with to what God had called them to. So naturally, others would want to know and be a part of what they had, what God had given the Israelites. And, you know, we think about this today. We have this incredible opportunity today. God still desires the same for us today as many of us in our small groups uh, are practicing in our local neighborhoods. We have mentoring and parent, partnering relationships where we practice discipleship, relationships that make us better, that call us higher uh, to support us in our walk with God as we strive to live as Jesus lived, help with our marriages, our parenting, our, our work, our schooling, navigating 2020, help with Zoom. I mean, all these things today. And I do think for a moment, we need to ask ourselves this morning, as Micah pointed to the Israelites, to the future birthplace of the Messiah, how today can we point people to God and make him attractive to this world around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates? I think ultimately it lives, it really is established here in this Old Testament passage 
from this minor prophet in Micah 6, verse 8. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If we just did this, if we lived this way, imagine what a difference that would make today. You know, and thinking back, when I was general sales manager of Hummer and Cadillac, you know, we, we constantly reviewed our inventory because we're wanting to move stuff through there as quickly as we would get it in. And sometimes you'd have a vehicle that you might end up sitting on a little bit longer than the rest. And I, I used to love this. I would take an ordinary Hummer vehicle out of stock. And, you know, they, back then they were about $54,000. And I would make this thing incredibly attractive. It had been sitting there for a reason. It was a plain Jane gray without any trim, you know, just real basic. So what I would do is I'd do a custom paint job. I'd add chrome. Um, we'd put it out on the point on the dealership facing the 110 freeway and, or excuse me, the 101 freeway, and we'd, we'd light it up at night. So we would really draw attention to it. And we'd put our best salespeople out there. So the, and the idea here is that, you know, once it's out there and it's all gussied up, you'll see it, you'll want it, you'll buy it, and you'll tell all your friends, where you got it. And God has sort of that same plan for us here today. You know, I think back to my life prior to 1990 as a non-Christian, the, the sin in my life, the challenges I had in my marriage and with my parenting and on just so many different levels and really just issues personally, no self-esteem, you know, uh, just walking around guilted out about everything all the time. And then having the opportunity to understand who Jesus Christ is and the good news and having had the opportunity to look to the Bible and understanding that it was living and active and it could have an incredible impact on my life. And it changed my marriage. It changed my relationship with my kids. All of a sudden, I had all these great relationships with other people where I maybe had one or two friends before. And that's what God has done with us through the waters of baptism. God has this same plan for each and every one of us. Now, the problem with Israel at this point in time was this is exactly what Israel had not been doing. The neighboring people would have been hard-pressed to notice a difference in the way the Israelites lived their lives. So the Israelites came to ruin, but the book ends with another powerful note of hope. Israel is personified as an individual who's sitting alone in shame and defeat, and it's clear image of Israel's destruction and exile. So this individual is watching and waiting for God's mercy and begs God to listen and to forgive. But why? Why should God listen to and forgive this faithless and rebellious people? And Mike has got a great answer here. He's actually got two reasons. He says, because of God's character. Who is a God like you who forgives sin and pardons rebellion? See, Micah knows that God's mercy is more powerful than his anger or judgment. And the second reason here is because of God's promises. He says, you will stay true to Jacob and show covenant love to Abraham as you swore long ago. Now, these are the final words of the book. They're an allusion to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family, all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 22, that all nations would find God's blessing through Abraham's family. But to become a blessing to the nations, Israel must be first faithful to their God. So this explains this back and forth between judgment and hope in the book of Micah. And if God's going to bless the nations through Israel, then he must also confront and judge the evil among his people. So 
thinking this through, even in our darkest times of despair, our experiences of living in exile, we should and need to trust that God is working out a new and better future for us. And that his love for us will not give up on us. That God will never give you up. That he paid this incredibly huge price for you. That he will never give us up. It is man who ultimately gives up on God. God never gives up on man. We have to face the, the full consequences of our defeats and our exiles, just as the people of Judah did the, their day. But nonetheless, we're an Advent people. We are a people of hope and love. And being bathed in God's love, we can truly love others in reading about and looking to and remembering God's people of old. We can trust that there is hope for us too. Now, just as Micah promised the coming king of Israel who would be great to the ends of the earth, so we like the people of Judah wait for a coming king to return, Jesus our Messiah. And this, this brings me to uh, uh, our, our close here in that there's this incredible, beautiful uh, story in literature. It's a French classic called The Little Prince. Most of us have read this ourselves. We've read it to our kids at some point in time. But there are two lines that have an Advent and Christmas message in them. And I love this. Um, as you can see on the slide, there's the fox and the little prince sitting next to each other. And the fox says to the little prince at one point, if you come at four o'clock, I shall begin to be happy at three o'clock. And this is the story of Advent. This is also where the little side note, you know me, I kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit, but this is also where the expression happy hour came from. Not the first pub that offered a discount one hour before dinner. It's the happy hour of waiting in hope and expectation, remembering that God's love for us and the, and the world by sending us Jesus. And that is what the Advent involves. It's happily waiting for our Lord and Savior, knowing that he is coming. So this message of Advent and hope and expectation of God's all-embracing love, guys, this is for everyone. And it doesn't matter how old or young we are. It doesn't matter what our situation is. God gives us hope and bids us to rejoice this happy hour of Advent as we expectantly wait for Jesus Christ's second coming. And with that, we spread his love and the good news around to everyone that we meet. But ultimately, God's judgment is what leads to hope. Because God's covenant love and promises are much more, uh, they're much more powerful than human evil. So in closing here, God's ultimate purpose is not to destroy, it's to save and redeem. Or as the concluding lines of the book put it, God delights in covenant love, so he will again show compassion. He'll trample out evil. He'll toss our sins into the depths of the sea. And as we're thinking this through, and prayerfully really grateful for what God has done for us, as we, we think through the, the Christmas season here going forward, is we're heading into a time of year where there is this incredible amount of focus on gift giving and getting. And what I'd like each and every one of us to, to really consider this year as we think through how blessed we are that God sent us this amazing gift in his son, Jesus Christ, I would like each of us to consider giving three gifts to God this year and really making these a part of our daily walk going forward. Number one, to act justly. Number two, to love mercy. And number three, to walk humbly with your God. 
And this is the book of Micah. Right now, what I'd like to do is to take this opportunity to turn things over to my amazing wife, Jacqueline, who has a few things she'd like to share with us uh, this morning as well. Good morning. Good morning, Costa LA. Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year, because I'm sure we're not going to see you before then. But uh, I do first want to start by apologizing for the Steelers jacket in the beginning. What? <laughs> the shameless Steelers. Uh, the you, shameless, you bought me that jacket. I did, but I didn't expect you to use it shamelessly at the regional service. But anyway, uh, what I love about Micah is that it's such a great reminder of God's justice uh, and his great love and mercy for his people. You know, we get to see God's heart as a shepherd and we get to see how he longs to gather his people together and then once again give us hope and give us peace and salvation through Jesus Christ. And it really is an incredible picture and a great addition to the whole Bible, which is considered, in my opinion, a great love story of the lengths that God will go to uh, because he loves his people and longs to have a relationship with us. And uh, I just pray, brothers and sisters, that as we strive to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God, that 2020, or I'm sorry, 2021 will bring uh, incredible blessings for each and every one of you uh, in here in the coastal LA region. And I do want to make one quick announcement before Steve prays for communion. And that is it. Uh, I just want to give you an update on our regional women's ministry council. We do have many applicants and we will uh, be looking for uh, that to start up the beginning. I'm sorry, the middle to end of January, 2021. Uh, you will be receiving an email with more details uh, for those of you that applied uh, for the women's ministry council. Thank you very much. Steve's going to pray for communion now. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads. Thanks, babe. Oh, Father, uh, we come before you this morning just grateful that you know us, that you have a relationship with us, and that you wanted this relationship so strong that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We thank you for the little town of Bethlehem, knowing that uh, that's where the King of Kings was ushered in. Uh, he didn't go for the grandeur and the splendor and the things and the trappings that would have come with a king, but demonstrated this immense degree of humility uh, to give us the opportunity to come to you as his brother, to you. Father, uh, thank you for the opportunity to think about this this morning and to really focus on what's really significant going into this time of year. And Father, I pray that for each of us, that we can really remember this each day, that we can act justly, uh, that we love and demonstrate mercy to others, and that we walk humbly with, your, with you, God, uh, thank you for the example through Jesus, and as we take the communion this morning, I pray that uh, we are grateful uh, for the sacrifice that's taken place, and just thinking through what an incredible gift that you have given us, and that is the primary reason for the season. Father, I love you, and I thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Again, guys, Merry Christmas uh, from Steve and Jacqueline from the Marichis in the coastal Los Angeles region. We love you all. Please have a safe holiday season. We'll look forward to uh, next year when we can probably start doing this in person again. Take care. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 